Um, turn to Romans, please. Romans chapter 3. We're looking at redemption in Christ Jesus. Redemption in Christ Jesus. And today, this evening, we're looking at Romans chapter 3, verse 24 through to 31. Let me just read those for you. Verses 24 through to 31. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God have set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. We'll be looking at that passage, not necessarily every word, every aspect of that passage, but we'll be having a fairly decent look at it now, God willing. The name Jesus is a transliteration of the Hebrew name Joshua, meaning Jehovah is salvation. That's what Jesus means, Jehovah is salvation. And the testimony of all true Christians is what? Is that Jesus is our saviour from sin. That's what we would all say as Christians, that Jesus is our saviour from sin. In the epistle to the Romans... The Apostle Paul unpacked various aspects of salvation from sin. We've already seen that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What that means is that there is none righteous, no, not one. However, there is a righteousness of God which is revealed in the Bible and which is conveyed by a legal declaration from God to all repentant sinners who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. God in heaven declares people righteous. He declares them just through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. A legal declaration from God. The righteousness of God is the righteousness of Jesus. I hope you, you, if this sounds familiar, I'm, I'm actually going over briefly what we were looking at last week and it leads on to what we're going to consider this week. The righteousness of God is the righteousness of Jesus in that he was perfectly obedient to the law in life and in death. As it is written of the Son of God in Jeremiah chapter 23 verses 5 and 6, Behold the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch And a king shall reign and prosper, 
and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Tucked away in the Old Testament, the Lord our righteousness. That speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the righteousness of all who are trusting in him. And they are clothed with his righteousness. Consequently, Christians are acceptable to God through faith in the, in the Lord Jesus Christ and in none other. Certainly not in themselves. Today we shall consider various other aspects to salvation and as you will see, even though being a Christian can be summed up in those few short words, Jesus saved me from my sins. That's what we all say as Christians. There is in fact a lot more to it, such as redemption and propitiation, as well as being declared righteous with the righteousness of God. Let's have a look at chapter 3 of Romans, verse 24 and 25. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God have set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. The first thing to note in that verse there is that being justified is in the present tense. Look at that in verse 24 again. Being justified freely by his grace. In other words, all who are trusting in Jesus are justified with his righteousness right now. It's not not something to look forward to in the future. It's now that you are justified, that you have the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ if you are trusting in him as your saviour from sin. Therefore, having already been declared righteous with the righteousness of God, which you have been if you're a Christian, Christians draw on God's enabling grace to walk along paths of righteousness and to live righteously as they are led by Jehovah Sikenu, the Lord their righteousness. And you look at Psalm 23, that lovely psalm of David, walking uh, along the path of righteousness. Uh, He leads me on paths of righteousness for his namesake. And that's how it is if you're a Christian. You're being led by the Lord Jesus Christ along paths of righteousness for his namesake. It is a righteousness that is by grace. In other words, it is wholly undeserved and it is freely given by God. You do nothing to deserve it. You do nothing to earn that righteousness. Nothing at all. It's a righteousness that is by grace, freely given, but not to all sinners. Rather, it is to all sinners who show repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The following question arises. How can a holy and righteous God declare sinners just or righteous, same thing, when their sin demands punishment according to God's own law. God's law says the soul that sins shall die. 
<coughs> so how can God declare a sinner just or righteousness and do justice to his own law? The answer is given as through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's the answer. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It's there in verse 24. When someone or something is redeemed, freedom is secured by the payment of a ransom. For example, going into a pet shop and buying a caged bird, leaving the shop and releasing the bird into the sky. The purchase is the ransom and the freedom of that bird from its cage is the redemption. Sometimes you might hear about governments paying vast sums of money to enemy nations or terrorist organisations to secure the release of their citizens. Those prisoners are redeemed by the payment of a ransom by their government. The law declares that the soul that sin shall die. However, the Lord Jesus Christ has redeemed guilty sinners from the curse of God's broken law with his own precious blood, which was shed at the cross. That is the ransom that was paid, the blood of Jesus. Nothing less than the blood of the incarnate Son of God. As such, when Paul gave instructions to the elders at the church in Ephesus, He said to them in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost have made you overseers to feed the church of God which he have purchased with his own blood. To feed the church of God which he, God, have purchased with his own blood. The blood of the incarnate Son of God. That is the ransom that was paid to redeem sinners. Therefore, if you are a Christian, your salvation is by grace. It is unmerited. You did nothing to deserve it. It cost you absolutely nothing. However, it cost Jesus his own precious blood. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 8, it is written of Jesus, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. In other words, when you look at that verse, Ephesians 1 verse 8, you'll see that redemption through the blood of Jesus and forgiveness for sins are synonymous. They are the same thing. Therefore, the next time that you tell someone, uh, you give someone your testimony that you, and you tell them that you have been forgiven your sins, you'll be able to tell them what that actually means. When you tell them, Jesus forgave me my sins, you can say that Jesus has redeemed you from the curse of God's broken law and he did so with his own precious blood. That's what it means to be forgiven your sins. It's worth reminding ourselves of that, isn't it? It can so easily roll off the tongue. Jesus saved me from my sins. It's helpful when you know what was involved in that. The, the, the ransom that was paid. The precious blood of Christ. 
Verse 25 looks at the ransom that was paid in terms of it being a blood sacrifice. Look at verse 25 again. Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. We see that God set forth his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be a propitiation. Do you know, soon after I started reading the Bible, I saw that word propitiation for the first time, and I didn't have a clue what it meant, but I grew to love that word. And it's a shame it's not in all of our Bible versions. It's It's a lovely word because there is so much meaning in that word, propitiation. To understand what propitiation means, it's worth knowing that the original Greek word for propitiation is only found in one other place in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 5, where it is translated as mercy seat. The same Greek word translated mercy seat in the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 9 and verse 5. The history of the mercy seat is as follows. About 1500 years before the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world, God redeemed the Jews from slavery in Egypt and then in in accordance with God's very detailed blueprint, his, his precise instructions, the Israelites built a mobile temple called the Tabernacle. Within the tabernacle was the most holy place and within the most holy place was the Ark of the Covenant. What was inside the Ark of the Covenant? The tables of of God's law that were given to Moses at the top of Mount Sinai. A lid called the mercy seat covered the Ark of the Covenant Once a year, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest entered the most holy place with the blood that he had taken from the altar of burnt offering in the tabernacle courtyard, and he sprinkled the blood upon the mercy seat. We heard that earlier in the reading from Leviticus chapter 16. The high priest, just once a year, entering into the most holy place of the tabernacle, That was where God was said to be present, or the glory of God was said to be present in the most holy place. And the high priest, when he entered the holy place, the most holy place, once a year, he did so with the smoke from the censer before him, as a shield between him and the glory of God. And he sprinkled the blood upon the mercy seat, the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. What all of that meant was that once a year the holy and righteous anger of God towards the ancient ancient Israelites was appeased when the Jewish high priest sprinkled that animal blood upon the mercy seat, the lid on on top of the Ark of the Covenant that contained, again, Inside the Ark of the Covenant were were the the commandments of God that condemn guilty sinners. Therefore, 
when the mercy seat was sprinkled with blood, God was propitious, or he was merciful to sinful Israel. We can apply all of that to Jesus, whom God set forth to be our propitiation or mercy seat. That Old Testament sacrifice was carried out once a year. Every year the high priest had to go through the whole ritual again to gain God's, uh, or to appease the righteous anger of God towards sinners. And it pointed to a fulfilment in the Lord Jesus Christ. For example, as it is written in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 and 12, but Christ being come and being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is to say not of this building neither by the blood of goats and calves but by his own blood he entered him once into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us. Therefore, by the once and for all time sprinkling of the blood of Jesus, God is propitious to all who come to him in repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is both the great heavenly high priest and he is the sacrifice for sin. It's as well to appreciate that the atoning sacrifice of Jesus when he poured out his blood, when he laid down his life, has everlasting efficacy. Jesus doesn't have to sacrifice himself time and time again every year. What he did is everlasting in its efficacy, its value. Which means that, right now, if you are not trusting in Jesus as your saviour from sin, the extreme anger of God and his pending judgment unto damnation are upon you. Now, I didn't mean it to work out this way, but this sounds very familiar to what I was talking about this morning. A completely different um, book in the New Testament, but the same message here. I wonder why the Bible repeats itself like this. Could it be because it's so important to realise that God is angry with sinners and that the wrath of God really does abide on unrepentant sinners, people who have not trusted in Jesus as their saviour from sin. I hope you hear that. If you are not trusting in Jesus, the wrath of God is upon you. And it's about time that you did the same as a certain tax collector did many years ago whilst he was in the temple in Jerusalem. This is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 18, verses 10 through to 14. Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee, a religious Jew, and the other a publican, which is a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican, I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all that I possess. 
blowing his own trumpet there, wasn't he? How wonderful he was. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus went on to say, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. He was righteous before God, the publican, the one who smote his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. We do not exalt ourselves. God exalts us when he lifts us out of the miry pit and he places us upon um, in heavenly places. The beating upon the tax collector's breast was a demonstration of a broken and contrite heart, of repentance before a holy God whom the tax collector couldn't look up to heaven towards. Instead of self-righteously blowing his own trumpet like the Pharisee, the tax collector simply said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Probably the most important words that that man had ever said in his life. Interestingly, all of the six times that merciful is mentioned in the New Testament, this is the only time that it has been translated from the Greek word helaskomai, which means propitious. In other words, the tax collector, acknowledging the holy indignation of God, prayed that God would be propitious, that he would be appeased. And the very fact that he went home justified or righteous tells us that his prayer was answered. God was indeed merciful to him on account of the blood sacrifice of the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that you? Do you have a testimony that God's anger towards you has been appeased? That Jesus has saved you from your sins? That with his own blood, Jesus has redeemed you from slavery to sin and to Satan? Amen.